it's so nice to see that you're alive. We haven't heard from you in ages. We were concerned. There was a great deal of concern. But, you know, at least you're alive. I love you. You're so pretty. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a weekly series looking at unfamiliar places across the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Hello. I'm a couple of weeks late with this one. I'm going to blame admin. Admin is always a good excuse. Yes. It's not been a terribly interesting few weeks so far in 2021, in all honesty. Apart from a couple of trips out to the supermarket, I've not done anything exciting. I went for a couple of runs at the very back end of December, before the snow came. I have a friend in Sheffield who made the and finally section of the local TV news because a news van accidentally passed her while she was taking her daily jog. She runs barefoot. It was snowing. They were intrigued. I'm not that hardcore. But mostly I've just been flaky and lazy. I probably need to do something about this, but as I type the temperature outside is minus one, feels like minus seven degrees Celsius. It's sunny, bright and clear, but still, it does feel like minus seven really and there's a small trace of snow on the ground. I won't talk about this now, as I've plans for an imminent future episode to be on the combination of snow and travel, but be sure I have feelings about this topic. Now, time at home has given me the opportunity to do some much-needed and longer-view tasks, though. I am going to call them admin. It's one of my favourite words. Apart from a couple of emails I've been putting off for a while, one of the major tasks was to recreate a media kit. Now, it seems weird saying this here and now, bearing in mind you're listening to my podcast, but for a while, people have been telling me that I have a decent voice. And for years, I've ignored them, because that involves me being comfortable with who I am and accepting of my abilities. But, and having regular sessions with a therapist has helped, so many different people from different circles of my life have said the same thing, that I've decided I should do something about it, just to see, just to find out. So, once lockdown is eased, I'll be going to London, to a recording studio, to make up a voice reel that I can then use to tout around voice agents and freelance websites to say, hey, hire me to do the voice work that you don't want to do. In January, I had a preliminary meeting with the sound engineer where we went through sample scripts to see what my voice is best suited for, which is really interesting, and just what I needed, as it's one thing having a good voice, but it's completely another to use it to its best effect. Remember, I can't do accents or other voices very well at all, So I'd never be any kind of, I don't know, video game character voice artist. But a corporate video or advert? Sure, why not? In similar but unrelated news, one of my friends writes stories. Victoria Pearson, you've heard her on my pod before, in fact. She was the person who created the Guide to Your First Protest I published last year. And she self-publishes their stories. Indeed, she's just launched her latest collection of dark fairy tales this week, so go check it out. Anyway, she wants to sell them in audiobook format and has asked me to record them for her. He's one of those people I often vent to with angst about my am I good enough to make it worthwhile to invest in myself? 
so she's very much in my corner. Another thing I've done in terms of self-promotion and self-development is to recreate a media kit for my website and podcast. These are very common in the creative world and act almost like a sales brochure. They tell interested parties, like brands and tourist boards, at least in the travel blogger world, who I am, how many people visit my website, and what I can do for them. Obviously, with everything that's happening in the world right now, the travel blogger side isn't going to be doing much. Although I've yet to tap myself to Luton's tourist board, assuming he's got one. But creating it was useful to see what else I can do, and importantly, what else people view me as being good at, or at least a resource for. Like, at the time of recording this pod, my most popular blog posts in the last 30 days were, in order, my overview of the intersection of asexuality and kink, the explanation as to why I call myself the barefoot backpacker, and the post where I detail my adventures of my first wild camp experience, where I couldn't work out how to put a tent up, forgot to bring anything to light my camping stove with, and spent the entire night shivering in three layers of clothing. This suggests my niches are sexuality, the barefoot lifestyle, and hiking. And to think I started off as a travel blogger talking about interrailing in ancient ruins. I also added to my media kit a whole series of endorsements. For years I was unable to accept compliments, I just brushed them off and ignored them, and didn't like to be reminded of them, because I always thought they were just saying things to be nice, and that none of them were real. But again, therapy has helped with this, and now I feel a little more comfortable displaying them, because, well, I am enough, yes? Therapy has also been useful to understand more about who I am, fundamentally, and what makes me feel the most comfortable. There have been things on my mind for a while, but it's only over time that I've worked it out what it all means, holistically, and that several different disparate thoughts I've had have been all quite interconnected. I mean, it all started with my explorations and realisations of asexuality, and more recently, of course, of uh, aromanticism. Oh yeah, it's International Quirky Alone Day on Sunday, don't forget. But lately I've realised other things, other beliefs and concepts that I originally thought were entirely separate, are also linked. One such was my feelings about masculinity. Back in 2017, I was having a conversation with the self-same Victoria about men. I've no idea what prompted it, probably just an idle thought, and I had a bit of a rant to her about the concept of toxic masculinity, it's fair to say. Her response was that she helped run a political podcast called Left Ungagged, at least in those days, and that this was exactly the sort of thing they were interested in people recording for them. So I did. A year and a bit later, I wrote it down as a blog post and referenced it at the time in podcast episode 8, which was otherwise about Uzbekistan, which itself has become a rare out-of-date pod, but in fairness it was even then as I was talking about how it was when I'd visited it four years earlier. But that's not the point. Since then, I've referenced my toxic masculinity post. Indeed, it's been my pinned tweet for a while, but it always felt like it was a post kind of on its own, disconnected from almost anything else I've ever written, really. Even my posts about asexuality, although they reference it, don't really cover the subject directly. Until now, I guess, when some of the feelings I had when I wrote it now make sense in other ways. Anyway, I wanted to read my post now on this pod as I think it's relevant to what I'm going to say later. And the post starts with the then-current hashtag ThisGirlCan. It's short, pithy and effective. It's a great example of how a simple theme can be used to unite so many people of different backgrounds, ethnicities, sexualities and abilities. It demonstrates the differences between individual women, but collectively it shows that despite any of those differences, each individual woman can succeed on their own terms and it doesn't make them any less of a woman if their individual goals are different. Collectively, it promotes all women, 
and allows them to belong. It empowers each and every woman to be the best that they can without reference to other women's aims, abilities and drive. To put it simply, the hashtag thisgirlcan means that every woman is, regardless of anything else, a valid, acceptable woman. There is no male equivalent of this, and this is a problem. There is a perfectly acceptable argument that says that there doesn't need to be, that the point of the this girl can hashtag is because the nature of society is one that drives female empowerment into the ground, and that women need that specific boost to highlight their individual successes and needs, by women, for women, and not be hidden by the toxic masculinity of patriarchy. This would be true, except for one thing. Men. The problem is, as I see it, how men are portrayed, and how, more importantly, how men portray themselves. There is an unwritten set of conduct amongst men that forces them to act in a certain way, and any deviation from this is seen as unmanly. You can see this any time a traditional masculine stereotype is challenged. Not just the Gillette advert at the start of 2019, but pretty much throughout history. It is indeed one of the driving plot points of the film Billy Elliot. In truth, it's much older than that. Phrases in the language used so often they've become clichés, yet still feel unchallengeable. Boys don't cry. Stiff up a lip. Be a man. Man up. Alternatives are almost never shown in pop culture, and when they are, they're either criticised within the medium or outside in the mainstream society and media. I've been told on several occasions, by male friends even, that I'm not a red-blooded male. They couldn't generally elaborate on what that means, but I think we all know. It means a strong sexual desire, often dominant. It means a healthy interest in male-assumed pastimes like football, boxing, cars, lager, female models. As I've mentioned before, I once told a work colleague that I found the music video to Beyoncé's Single Ladies to be very boring, as it was simply, three men dancing, nothing much actually happens. His response was, oh, but what women? This sort of attitude is an example of why the patriarchy exists. It's how people like Harvey Weinstein, like Bill Cosby, could get away with so much for so long. Why did no one say something? They must have known. Well, I mean, yes, they probably did. But challenging masculinity like that, when you're a man, is something that cuts to the very core of what it means to be a man. Because we don't have any visible alternative. Men assume men will be like them. To reveal yourself to be otherwise makes you less of a man in their eyes. Cue the dismissal of men who challenge, who have alternative interests, as queer, puffter, or nonces. In their eyes were merely women with dicks, and therefore not to be trusted, not to be listened to. Now, I'm not one for peer approval, for fuck's sake, but I imagine a lot of other men are, especially if they're not what you might determine alpha males. They'll get quietened out by the more assertive men who are the power-hungry lot we're trying to fight against. Note also the sheer numbers of male mental health sufferers, male runaways, male suicides, often of people who know they're different from the standard view of masculinity, but who can't challenge their peers, but equally can't cope with living a lie and feel that running away or ending their lives is preferable to either facing up to society or having to hide themselves within it. We need young men to know that they don't have to conform to one particular ideal of masculinity. We need illustrations, examples of men who don't conform to strict gender norms. I'm not talking here of the likes of David Bowie or Eddie Izzard, as they take the idea of masculinity and completely subvert it. That doesn't help the ranks of everyday men leading ordinary mundane lives who don't want to rock the boat too much. It's not just strict gender norms in the sense of pushing the limits on what's acceptable in terms of gender itself, but also in behaviour. Highlighting that you don't need to be an alpha male. You don't need to be the lion. You don't need to spend your time trying to be funny and make yourself the centre of attention. You don't need to be controversial to be a man. 
You don't need to be a dick to be a man. You don't need to be a pisshead. You don't need to like sports. You don't need to feel you have to dominate women all the time. You don't need to wear a suit. You don't need to always have the last word. You're still a man. People kind of like Russell Howard, an everyday bloke but not creepy. Also, the tennis star Andy Murray. Related is what's commonly known as white male privilege. Eh, I've mentioned this before as well and I can't hide it, so I'm not going to. It's uncomfortable to bring it up because I know it just makes me sound elitist. But I think sometimes I guess I may need to use it to my, or everyone's, advantage. I'm white, male, middle class, affluent, went to a private school, had a slightly unorthodox family in childhood, but one that was probably even more good than being in a two-parent family, never mind a one-parent family. I can easily pass for both Christian and heterosexual. In essence, I am the establishment. I am closer to being Tory boy than probably most of your friends. And yet I'm not. But the actions of people like Trump, Weinstein, Jimmy Savile, reflect badly on people like me. I have much more in common with them in terms of background, lifestyle, etc. than most people do. They give people like me a bad name and I don't really know what to do about it. The issue that relates to my previous comment is, because of our similarities, it's hard for me to come across as different. Because there are no adverts, no role models. Well, that's not quite true. But certainly no mental stimuli to say that middle-class, middle-aged white men can be anything other than party animals and misogynistic lectures. If you're not one of them, then, as I say, you're not a man. Until that changes, until men feel like they can speak out and challenge what it means to be a man, that masculinity is more than just the narrow path that's commonly laid out, then people like Weinstein will always get away with it. There's another aspect to this, of course, and that's how women see men. One of the more controversial hashtags of recent times has been Not All Men, an attempt by men to defend themselves against accusation and distrust of men by women. Men can't seem to believe that women don't trust them because they're the nice guys and that not every man is a bastard out to get them. While statistically true, the majority of men don't harass, abuse, rape or murder people, it's not a terribly constructive way of dealing with the issue. Rather, it's an attempt to change the terms of reference of the debate from one of women going, there is a problem with some men here, to one of men going, how dare you tar us all with the same brush? It's basically your fault for finding the bad men. Note the word some, by the way. Men tend to read any statement by women about men as applying to the whole of the species. In reality, it's a bit like someone saying, I'm a bit scared of spiders because they're venomous. They know the majority of spiders are pretty harmless, but they don't know which ones they are. So for protection, they avoid all of them until they learn more and feel comfortable about a specific individual. And therein lies an issue. For all those men saying, I'm a nice guy, prove it. Prove to the world you're worth trusting. Prove to the world you're not just saying it to get inside of women's knickers. See, you might well be a nice guy. Indeed, I'm sure you are. But the only person in the world who knows that right now is you. I know I'd never intentionally make a woman feel uncomfortable, but equally I know that any random woman I see on a train or in a restaurant or passing by on the street doesn't know this. The only thing they have to go on is that I come across as a man and therefore as a potential threat just by existing. And the longer that the male patriarchy exists in its current form, holding us down as well as women, and the longer we as men don't challenge it, the longer this situation and these feelings will stay and the harder they will be to knock down. For each day that men in powerful positions use their privilege to their advantage and repress everyone, men and women who don't follow their tone, the more entrenched it gets. Toxic masculinity thus affects men in two ways, directly because men appear pressured to meet the male standard and criticised when they don't, and indirectly because the actions of the alpha males affect how the world sees all men 
not just those specific individuals. It's up to us to change this. Ready, player one? So, what does that have to do with my current feelings of self-identity? Well, we'll find out after this break. Are you happy with your wash? No. Can you often smell a stale odour while ironing? Yes. A smell like the clothes haven't been washed properly? Yes. Tough! Buy Brand X washing powder. Just as good as anything else you can buy. From the author who brought you a series of strange stories and a tale of two princes comes a collection of ten classic fairy tale retellings twisted as only Victoria Pearson can. She was never a witch, whatever they say. She was a harmless little old lady, and those two demons terrorised her. Find out why you should always be careful what you wish for, why you shouldn't trust Hansel and Gretel just because they look sweet, and why you really, really don't want to displease Mr Elf. I don't need anything flash, don't want anything super, just turn this tuba into an uber. Grab some iron to ward off the shining ones, and some salt to keep the fairies away. Keep a tight hold of your name as we head into the woods and see what happened once upon a twisted fairy tale. The trouble is, no one believes in fairy tales anymore. Out now in ebook and paperback. Audiobook coming soon. To test the washing powder, you need two samples. I have two samples in my hand right now. One will be washed in Brand X washing powder, the other will be washed in Persic. How will the Persic respond? As we can see, the sample washed in Brand X still shows some evidence of faint stains, whereas the Persic... Oh. Buy Brand X washing powder. Not only is it just as good as anything else on the market, it is also four pence cheaper. Ah, February the 14th. Valentine's Day. A day for lovers, for romantics, for spending special time with your partner and doing all that sickly sweet stuff you need an excuse to. Or you could choose Quirky Alone. If you enjoy being single, but are not opposed to being in a relationship, and prefer being single to dating purely for the sake of being in a couple, then this is the movement for you. It's a mindset. It's about finding happiness within yourself and learning how to bring that happiness into a relationship and developing connections. It's about being connected to yourself so you can connect to others and be your real, true, quirky self. Quirky Alone is also about community, valuing the significant others in your life and knowing that those relationships are important too. International Quirky Alone Day, February the 14th, is a do-it-yourself celebration of romance, friendship, and independent spirit. It's a celebration of all kinds of love, romantic, platonic, familial, and yes, self-love. International Quirky Alone Day is not anti-Valentine's Day. It is not a pity party for single people. It's a feel-good alternative to the marketing barrage of Valentine's Day, and an antidote to the silicone version of love presented in shows such as The Bachelor. It just happens to fall on the same day as Valentine's Day. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. Celebrate International Quirky Alone Day on February the 14th, and be you for you. Sir, sir, are you the person in charge of new washing powders? I am, yes. Boy, have I got a treat in store for you. Arioli Hyper, isn't that a non-biodegradable? Surely you mean non-biological. Whatever, I don't know if we can recommend a non-bio. You must. Well, we can give it a try, but I'm not convinced. Ah, I knew it wouldn't shift the sting. No, this is alveoli hyper. 
Well, at least it's got rid of the stain. Buy Brand X washing powder. Not only is it just as good as anything else on the market, and four pence cheaper, it also doesn't turn your clothes pink. Welcome back to the pod! Marvellous. In part one, we looked at self-confidence and my irk at masculinity. But how do these fit into my developing feelings of self-identity? Well, I have the pandemic to thank for this, in a way. See, I've recently bought some new clothing. You may have seen a couple of posts on Instagram about them, mainly their quite baggy shirts in a variety of shades of hippie, as well as the flannel plaid shirt that one of my friends says makes me look like a lesbian. I've also bought a couple of colourful face masks. I figure if I have to wear them, they might as well be bright, funky and make a point. You know, a bit like I do with my toenails, but even more so. The thing about all shirts is that they're quite... gender neutral. In the sense that they wouldn't seem awkward worn on either men or women. The flannel shirt, indeed, is designed as a female shirt with buttons on the wrong side and no breast pocket, the latter which might vaguely annoy me at some point. Also, they're quite oversized, and my intention is to wear them as overshirts, unbuttoned, as a kind of fashion style. It largely matches a vibe from this time last year when I bought a couple of vibrant, funky, and female leggings to go running in. Apparently, I'm a size 16. Or 18. Depends on how fat I am. This feeling of gender neutrality is... Well, it's becoming kind of important to me. In a way, though, it always was. I just didn't realise it. So, for example... When I was travelling around the world back in 2014, my standard clothing included a pair of blue denim jeans with turn-ups just below the knee. Apparently this is a stereotypical queer feminine clothing style, a fact I was not previously aware of, and would have been confused if I had known, as I'd borrowed them off my then-girlfriend, who as far as I know is not particularly queer. But yes, they were nominally women's jeans. They fitted fine. They had pockets. I was happy. And that look mixed with the short-sleeved shirts, the bare feet and the painted toenails, was one I really felt at home with and made me look, well, more aesthetically appealing than I normally do. A couple of years ago, I had conversations with another of my friends, Jax, who is gender-fluid and thus has some experience with coming to terms with self-identity. At the time, I was musing about how I was presenting myself and how there were certain aspects of being a man that physically I wasn't happy or comfortable with. Mainly, it must be said, body hair, which has its functionality, as is evidenced by current weather conditions, but I have rather more of it than I'd ideally like. Plus it's dark, so it's really visible. I never liked showing off my legs and tended to avoid anything other than full-length trousers, partly for that reason. And after I discovered my liking for three-quarter-length Capri-style trousers, I'd often run my beard trimmer up my legs as far as the knees to clear the hair a bit. Anyway, going through these thoughts with them helped me develop my thoughts and feelings a bit and allowed me to realise that I could experiment more and try things out to see how I felt about them. I must say at this point that the majority of having a male body is fine. I love the efficiency of its waste disposal tube, and the lack of chest mounds makes running much easier and safer, especially for someone with a lack of balance like me. And the less said about the monthly march of the Red Army, the better. It's just little things I'd tweak. In the middle of last year, I joined the Discord server for the Sounds Fake But OK podcast. Now, the podcast and Discord themselves are, as previously mentioned, as recently as episode 32 of this podcast, primarily concerned with asexuality and aromanticism. However, there's statistically a large overlap between asexuality and queering of gender identity. A survey by the Asexual Community Survey Team in 2018 suggested that 25% of asexuals are identified as a non-binary scope identity directly, 
asked about a quarter of people who identified as women and 30% who identified as men also felt that they were further questioning their identity beyond that binary gender. A further survey in 2020 run by the Trevor Project, an organisation that focuses on suicide prevention in LGBTQIA youth, suggested that around 25% of all LGBTQIA identified as a flavour of non-binary, rising to 41% amongst asexuals. As to why this would be the case, a couple of discordians suggest that if people come to accept their sexuality as being unusual and off-kilter, they're probably more open to thinking deeply about other parts of their life and identity. As such, there's been a large number of discussions between everyone on the Discord where we've all been learning much more from each other about how we think and act, and realising that certain things we've thought of haven't been one-off weird concepts, but part of an overall pattern. So, for example, my dislike of excessive body hair, which, by virtue of being one aspect of masculinity, connects well with my preference for gender-neutral and baggy clothing, my toenail varnish, my tendency to feel far more comfortable in the company of female friends, and indeed, as referenced earlier, my distaste for the way masculinity itself is presented. I didn't appreciate or realise any of this until these past couple of months. I'll be honest, I never really thought it was a conversational thought process it was applicable for me to have. See, in part this was because of maybe a misunderstanding as to what gender non-binary was. When I first came across the term, I always assumed it was a synonym for intersex, or rather the opposite, literally having neither male nor female characteristics. Then I thought it was something you actively had to be transitioning to with some kind of drug. Turns out it's a state of mind rather than a state of body. It's true there's a certain stereotypical non-binary aesthetic, as the majority of people who identify as non-binary have female bodies. A survey by Kieran Todd et al. from 2019, uh, seen in Volume 4, Issue 1 of Transgender Health, found that two-thirds of non-binary respondents were assigned female at birth. This leads to an assumption that non-binary is feminine light. And thus, much of the resource and advice aimed at non-binary people is in ways to appear more masculine. So, cut your hair short, wear men's clothes, wear less makeup. None of this is helpful for achieving a non-binary aesthetic coming from the other direction. Thing is, as well, women have been dressing in a gender-neutral way for decades. Think of American singer Patti Smith on the cover of her Horses album, for instance, and that was back in 1973. Well, because male fashion is itself quite boring and, in a manner of speaking, gender-neutral, or at least it is now, uh, think of things like well, men's suits. Men's suits are fairly neutral. Uh, what it means is that male envies end up going one of three ways. They either still look like men, they edge too much towards drag, or they end up looking like a time traveller from the early 1800s, rocking the romantic hero Lord Byron look. None of this is really my aesthetic. Even in the height of my masculinity, I didn't wear suits, which, as I've said, is a common uh, sign female at birth envy look. I'm much more of a hippie, hence my recent purchase of baggy and flannel shirts. Casual rather than formal. One could argue, though, that the relative blandness of masculine clothing, beige, blue, grey, black, white, less colour than the asexual pride flag, means that any variation could be seen as gender non-conforming. Although the issue that men have is, because of strict definitions of masculinity, as well as a general lack of understanding as to the concept of non-binary, wearing outlandish clothes gives more of a signal of gay man than envy, regardless of sexual attraction. There's no reason why men can't identify as non-binary. Indeed, in the last couple of years, leading British pop star Sam Smith has come out as non-binary and uses they-them pronouns, making them one of the most notable envies in modern culture. It's just that toxic masculinity largely prevents men from feeling comfortable thinking about this. 
It's hard enough coming to terms with a different sexuality, never mind questioning your entire gender outlook. Remember, you're not a red-blooded man. You're just a woman in disguise. Any deviation from the norms of masculinity is criticised, clamped down on, beaten out of you. And being gay, being non-binary, being in any way transgender, even if you're still bodily male, makes you a woman, and therefore inferior. It's unsurprising, therefore, that in a study conducted in 2018 by the American Academy of Pediatrics, 41.8% of non-binary youth, so aged 11 to 19, surveyed stated that they had attempted suicide, likely the majority because both sides of the patriarchy look down on the concept. I'm kind of privileged in that way as well, I guess, because I'm that much older. I've not got a need to impress anyone. It doesn't matter anywhere near as much if I toe the line. But it's people like me, people like Sam Smith, people like the poet Kay Tempest, who can act as role models for the next generations, to show that their feelings are valid, and yes, you can be who you feel you really are. I am not a role model. The idea is weird to me. But there you go. The problem here in general, though, is one of visibility. People can't relate to you, or to an identity at all, if they don't know you, it, anything about it exists, if they don't know what they feel is valid, and while it's great that people can come out as a sexual or gender orientation, it doesn't mean squat if the majority of the population don't notice. This is something I've spoken about before, with regards to asexuality, how being asexual makes it easy to hide in plain sight and pass a cishet but just single. I've walked through cities with the ace flag in my backpack, an ace-themed sweatshirt, and more recently the ace flag is a face mask, and no one's noticed. My other new face mask is in the colours of the non-binary flag, and again, no one's even looked at me curiously, never mind commented on it. In a way, it makes me feel kind of... safe. Like it's a secret code that only people who know about it will get. But equally, it means that the level of visibility for these identities is really low. So people who may be having the same thoughts don't realise their thoughts are valid and spend their lives unhappy, angsty, desperate for answers and confused as to why they feel they're broken. I actually did a poll on my Instagram stories while wearing my non-binary face mask. I asked my followers, not what does this represent, but more vaguely, if you saw someone wearing these colours, would you assume they were significant? 49% of my followers said yes and 51% said nah, they're just pretty colours. This led to me to write a blog post recently on the many different pride flags, those associated with several of the gender and sexual orientations that people identify with, but which people may only have vaguely heard the names of in passing. I probably ought to record myself on video doing it as a kind of stand-up comedy regime, but you'll know that will never happen. It's hard to recreate in purely audio form since flags by their very nature are visual, but I'll talk about a couple here. One thing to note though, we're awfully fond of stripes. We may be queer, but our flags are mostly straight. The most obvious, of course, is the non-binary flag itself. Just pretty colours. I mean, your mileage may vary, but it's better than many of the orientation flags, I guess. It's made up of four equal stripes across, from which the top-down are bright yellow, white, purple and black. The bright yellow dominates, to be honest. It feels a little like someone got bored of the asexual pride flag and wanting to make it more lively, swapped the colours around a bit and applied a liberal amount of dayglow paint or gave it a high-vis hat. It's quite disjointed in a way. You feel like you could see it from 100 metres away down a dark street. Not masculine, not feminine, not going to be hit by a car. Non-binary is made up of several subcategories, each of which has its own flag. And of course, they all have a myriad of stripes. The subcat I identify with now is known as Demiboy, which is an awful sounding name, 
It feels a bit like a cut-price budget supermarket own brand superhero. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Oh wait, no, it's a bird. There's Demi Boy jogging up the hill looking exhausted. Oh Demi Boy, can you save my cat who stuck up the tree? Nah, it's a job for the fire brigade with their long ladders. Oh, is that because you're Demi Boy and feel like rescuing a cat is traditionally masculine endeavour and you're objecting out of principle because you don't want to conform to gender stereotypes? Nah, I'm just scared of heights. Demi Boy and the related Demi Girl reflect that some people do identify with a gender binary, but only partially. This may, or may not, be the gender that they were assigned at birth, and in addition they may, or may not, identify partly as another gender. That said, it is most commonly represented as someone sitting between their birth gender and non-binary. Indeed, many Demis also consider themselves to be non-binary. Since, technically, any querying of your gender makes you able to validly claim to be Demi, this suggests there's probably an awful lot of possible demi-boys and demi-girls in the population who simply would never know. This is where I feel I sit, because I'm not strongly aligned to any gender. I've been known to say, my gender is meh, and my pronouns are, eh, whatever you like, but if you call me she, her, you'll be provably wrong, and we'll all laugh at you. But I have a male body, and, as discussed earlier, I'm mostly alright with it. The changes I'd like to make to it wouldn't be to make it more female, just more androgynous like a Numenoid, but with less late 70s dystopia vibe. Definitely a hippie. The flags might well put you off, though. The Demiboy flag is a lot of thin, equal stripes. From the top down, they are dark grey, light grey, pale blue, white, pale blue, light grey, dark grey. It's quite busy, yes. I liken it to someone taking the flag of Argentina, letting the edges get a bit mucky, overwashing it with cheap washing powder so residual stains remain, then hanging it out to dry in the hot sun for too long, letting it fade. The demigirl flag is the same, except replace the flag of Argentina with the flag of Austria. It's pale red instead of pale blue. The final identity I want to mention is agender. This is often what people think of when they hear non-binary, and it's defined as genderlessness, or a lack of gender. If non-binary is a spectrum of identities that sit between the gender binary, these people sit outside that spectrum in a way, similar to how asexuals sit outside the sexual orientation spectrum. They tend to identify as human, or a person, rather than any definition that refers to gendered identity. Some notable people to have come out as agender include the actor Ezra Miller, rapper Angel Hayes, and author and activist S.J. Miller. The flag isn't very interesting. Again, it's a large number of equally sized thin stripes across, from the top down, black, grey, white, pale green, white, grey, black. What? It reminds me a little of the display on a broken television. I want to slap the top of the flag to get the picture back. Even traditionally masculine clothing is more colourful and interesting than this. So, to sum up, TLDL, as they might say on a podcast, I'm kind of non-binary. I'm musing about using Barefoot Backpacker as a name rather than just a brand to reflect this change in identity, but whilst a gender-neutral name, it's a very weird one, even if some of my friends call me Barefoot anyway, despite knowing my real name. You look like a Barefoot, said one. What? And it's not like I have an objection to my real name, albeit that it's a fake one anyway, given my surname was changed when I was three years old, just that sometimes it's nice to have a more comfortable and all-encompassing identity. You'll notice, though, historically, I almost never use my real name. For years it wasn't on my website, and it's not in the intro on my podcast. People have never known what my name is. People have never known what I'm called. This is because I never saw it as important. 
No one needs to know what it is, as to all intents and purposes, I am my brand. But now, with all my recent realisations, it's another interesting aspect, another weird connection that links all of these separate concepts. Note that I'm currently wearing socks. It is, as I said earlier, below freezing point. Well, that's all the self-revelation for this pod. Next time, I'll return to talking about travel, with my long-expected pod looking at other types of alcohol around the world, from the best spirits and the finest discoveries to possibly the most unlikely place you might find a tipple. I know this because I've started to write it already. The pod after that will be on snow, because of course it will be. Until then, remember, you are valid. And if you're feeling off-colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast's side of choice. I'm pretty bad at that sort of thing myself, so I'll understand perfectly if you don't. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Sheffield studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on the Grass, bonus by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. Until next week, have safe journeys. Bye for now. Thank you.